Kennedy Street, please visit kennedystreetcio.org. Recovery is possible. Sorry about that. I was no. I was introducing myself live with my pen as a drumstick. Um, my name's Claire Kennedy, and I have the gorgeous Kevin Kennedy with me, um, who will introduce himself in a little minute. Um, so if you don't know me, my name is Claire Kennedy still, and I am the founder and CEO of a very tiny little charity in Brighton called Kennedy Street, and we are a recovery charity. And um, what does that mean? It means we're a peer-led project led by people in recovery for people in recovery or for anybody that's interested in recovery. And what we do in the community is we we help um, those who are interested in getting involved with our project um, um, to understand recovery more and also how to achieve their greatest potential in recovery if it's recovery that they're interested in. Um, and we do that via workshops, we do that via um, coaching and we do that via um, personal development programs that we run where we help people with employability skills and setting up their own social enterprise and I mean we are very small um but we're very excited for the future um and we've had some great results as well so yeah um I'm gonna let Kev introduce himself and the rest of um today what we've got going on so over to you Kev Hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Kevin Kennedy. I hope you're all well and keeping safe. Uh, as I said, uh, we are Kennedy Street. And what we do here is we, over the last couple of months or so, well, we've been doing this, we've got so many uh, inquiries and questions about recovery. And I, I agree, it's a bit of a mystery if you've never, if you've never looked into it or, or you have looked online. It's all a bit, I don't know, I, I can't understand it. So here we try to simplify things. Uh, and all these questions that you've got, we can answer them. Um, you can at, uh, answer, uh, ask them anonymously uh, in the in the um, in in the in the thing at the side there, which is all the where the questions come in. Um, and we want to speak to people to explain to you uh, who have actually been through it, who have been through uh, addiction, are now in recovery um so all the questions that you've always been dying to ask about recovery now is your time this is a safe space uh this way you can get uh, your information and today's uh, uh talk is about cocaine anonymous now it's worth pointing out that cocaine anonymous is not just about cocaine it's about all drugs um that that people are into nowadays and you can get your information here so today uh we have got um we've got edward and joe b uh who are going to tell us uh, share their their hope and uh, and their recovery so uh up to you joe b joe b thank you um yeah hi my name is joe and i'm an addict uh again from cocaine anonymous and it's a fellowship of men and women who share their experience and the strength and the hope with each other so that we can all solve our common problem, maybe what brought us here today, um, which is our addiction, and to help other people to recover from their addiction. I'm actually um, a member of a committee of Cocaine Anonymous called Public Information. I do it in the UK. Um, 
And our purpose is to tell everyone, professionals and the, the fellowship at large, um, that we're here and we're free. We're confidential, we're non-profit. There's no dues or fees to being part of Cocaine Anonymous. Um, we're just here to, to help recovering addicts to keep clean, to recover from their addiction one day at a time. Um, our members, you know, the, the fellows around me, the women around me, they've all demonstrated continuous abstinence from cocaine and all other mind-altering substances. Uh, we're not just cocaine-specific. Um, and we are willing to share how recovery works in our lives. Um, you know, strength and hope, our experience, is how we can identify with each other that we know in a way that we're legit. Uh, one of the things that happens when you go to a meeting is that you listen to someone's story and you think, yeah, I identify with that. Might not have been the exact same journey, might not have been the same drugs, but gosh, I identify with the feelings and their experience. I know myself that um, uh, I was brought up by alcoholics. Uh, alcoholism was quite big in my family. Different kind of alcoholics, the poke you in the chest and shouty kind of drunks, um, the uh, shouting on the street kind of alcoholics, kind of alcoholics whose hands shook until they'd had a drink to steady themselves. Um, the kind of alcoholics who seem beautiful and lovely in their everyday life, but at home they just can't stop drinking. And that's one of the things that binds us all together is that uh, we don't have it in control. But, you know, for example, my mum and my dad, they, um, they taught me to be good. They taught me the love of life. Um, I was brought up in a, in a good home in that respect. We had food on the table. Um, but I felt a bit different. I just felt a bit uneasy and perhaps uneasy in myself. And as I grew up and I discovered drugs, I think what I was looking for was some peace inside. Uh, I was trying to fill some sort of hole and to feel calm and good. And I kind of thought I might have felt, uh, found it with weed, but actually weed made me more paranoid. But even though it made me more paranoid and I didn't like what it was doing to me, I could not stop smoking it. In fact, I had a friend once who turned around to me, a great guy, really beautiful dreadlocks, a cool musician that I lived with. And he turned around to me smoking a spliff and he said, Joe, I think I've got a problem with weed. I don't, it makes me paranoid and I don't want to smoke it, but I can't stop. And you know what? The next day he cut all his hair off. Um, however that helped him, he cut all of his hair off. He moved down to London. He got the drop of his dreams, which admittedly was working in sewers, but that's what he wanted to do. He got a beautiful girl and he lost loads of weight. And you know what? I hated him for it. I absolutely hated him for it because I hated him for where I felt he was leaving me, which was stuck in addiction. So, you know, my story is one of burning through all the drugs, all the party drugs, really enjoying raving and free parties in the forests and traveling abroad and laying loose, meeting new people. It was all great until it wasn't great anymore when there was no one else around but me and the drugs, when I wanted the party to keep on going, but it was just me and the drugs, and then misery and tears and pushing people away and using people and stealing my kids' pocket money, you know? It, it goes to some really horrible dark places for a lot of people. Not everyone. You don't have to have hit the same rock bottom as me. It doesn't matter where on the elevator you decide to get off. The thing is that... The thing is, it's, it's 
we cannot help as a fellowship you to find it within yourselves to make the decision that you'd like to give up drugs. But when you do, we completely, I'm almost crying now thinking about it, but when you do, we completely understand what you're going through. We absolutely identify and we have a solution. Um, I found personally that my life had just become unmanageable, absolutely unmanageable. Like I was walking around work. I managed to hold a job together somehow. And I thought everyone was a misery a miserable cow or he's a dick or sorry for swearing. Um, and everyone was just miserable with me. And I thought it was them. And only now do I see that I was rolling in late, disheveled, stinking. I'd managed to get my work done, but I was selfish and self-seeking and self-centered and just not a nice person. Um, and gradually even that I couldn't hold down the job. I wasn't paying my rent. Everything was always by the skin of my teeth. And although it led to loads of escapades, um, it, it was just a bit of a mess. So I've tried to give up drugs in many ways. I've chained myself to radiators. I've locked myself in rooms. I've moved country. I've split up from girlfriends. I've done everything and his dog to give up drugs. I knew I didn't want to be trapped in this miserable place of just earning a bit of money to give to someone else so I could get some relief for some precious minutes. Um, and in the end, I managed to find Cocaine Anonymous. And from the very first day, and this won't be the same for everyone, but from the very first day I was introduced to it, it just clicked with me. It's a spiritual program, but it's not aligned with any religion. Each one of us is free to define our own spirituality. We have a higher power, it's called. And what we do, we kind of just turn ourselves over to this faith that in goodness, really, I actually personally replaced the word God with good. Uh, and I've got this conscious contact with my own conscience. If I can describe it like that, just like my mum brought me up to be good, I found it again. I found that nice Joe again. And I can tell you quite clearly, with pride, but not egotism, my life is really good. My life is really good. I have the life that I've always wanted. I have a beautiful family in a family home. I've got lovely kids. I've got a, a partner who I only just deserve because she's just so nice, such a lovely lady. And we wake up happy every day. And I can say that with my head held high. I wake up happy every day and I go to sleep happy every day. And what the program's done, it's, it's, it's taught me to um, identify all my defects of character and all the things that made me so selfish and self-centered. It's shown me that I have a part to play and all these resentments that I've built up over the years and all the fears that are, seem to have been locked up in me. And I managed to let everything go. And I do this through trusting in another man. And I, I'm completely open and honest with him. And that's how we work in the fellowship with a sponsor. Everyone's heard of a sponsor, that's how it works. And we go through all the wreckage of our past and we end up making amends to people, going back to our past and... and yeah, just looking at our part in problems from the past and owning up to it. And through that, building relationships again. Um, and then from there, once we've taken a personal inventory and admitted to all the things we've done, it's just a matter of going on and passing the message on through sponsoring other people, helping other people, going through the work as it's called. And that's where I found PI, public information, to be of great help to myself because, you know, there's a parable, isn't there, about talents? about not hiding your talents, but bringing them up and making them shine. 
And I think every single one of us, every single person that's listening to this has a talent. And it's about using your talent in life, using it to help other people, using it to help yourself, using it to, to shine in the world and be a, a good spirit. And I've found mine through public information, the ability to help communicate the message to the professionals, communicate the message to the fellowship. Um, and it actually aligns with what I do for a living, which is really good. Um, as uh, part of public information on a, on a UK level, we get to see all the work that happens around the country in what are called districts, if you can think about them as counties almost. And you'll find that there is your, you will be in a district and there will be meetings close to you right now. They've gone online. Um, currently, most of the meetings are online and they're there to help you. They're there. There'll always be a meeting at any time of the day. And one of the things that you find right now with COVID is the fact that whereas... Um, you would have noticed, for example, if your colleague had a problem with drink, they'd be disappearing to the car every now and again. They'd be coming in a little disheveled. They might smell of alcohol. They'd be coming in late. Now more than ever, though, those signs are hidden, and people's weekends start on any day. There is no, I'll only drink after work. There'll be a bottle of wine in the fridge while you're working, and then before you know it, there'll be a glass of wine next to you while you're working, and then eventually you'll just have the bottle of wine next to you, and you'll start working. If you feel like you have a problem with drugs or alcohol, if you feel that you can't stop or you feel it's affecting you or your family in any way, we are here to help. And I would encourage people to reach out to Cocaine Anonymous, C-A-U-K. Um, Google it. That's the easiest way. And you'll find that there is a solution. There's also a helpline that's on the screen now. I encourage everyone that feels they might have a problem to reach out and you'll find that there's people just like you. Thank you. Amazing. Thank you so much, Joe. Thank you for coming and so beautifully putting and simply putting um, how CA can help people and how um, how it's changed your life. Um, you know, it's it is an amazing fellowship that 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 you're a member of and you know just for everybody to hear the the gifts and to be reminded of the, the gifts that they actually have themselves, which is beautiful. And on that note, um, I think we'll introduce our next speaker, who's also a member of um, Cocaine Anonymous, Ed. So introducing Ed, who's going to tell you all about his story, share his experience, strength and hope with you, and also share some of his gifts as well. So over to you, Ed. Hi, sorry, uh, I think we were both muting and unmuting together. Hello, my name's Edward and I'm an addict. Um, and yeah, thank you, thank you, Joe, for, uh, uh, yeah, describing the whole kind of thing so so well and so so beautifully and with such uh, personal aplomb. Um, and uh, thank you guys for having me on. Um to tell my story and just at the beginning Joe was kind of talking about <clears throat> um that we all have we all have different stories uh but we all have one very important thing in common which is that um we can't we can't stop we don't have the power to stop on our own on our own power and um 
when I first started coming to meetings, one of the most important pieces of uh, advice I was given was to to focus on the similarities rather than the differences. Because there was because, you know, a big part of me didn't want to be in those meetings. A big part of me didn't want to be listening to these stories. A big part of me wanted to crack the problem by myself because I couldn't accept that uh, that this was something I couldn't do, that it wasn't just about me somehow getting my shit together, that it, sorry, sorry for swearing, um, that it wasn't somehow, you know, for the whole of my life, um, I, I felt like I somehow just hadn't been given the rule book to life. Like other people were just going about their business, kind of bumbling along and having a fairly decent time. And I was just consistently very confused with how to interact with other people or why I felt the way I did or whatever it was. And drugs started to kind of take that, take the edge off that, really start to take the edge off that. And, and, and it was that kind of thinking and that kind of feeling that I identified as soon as, as, as I was in the rooms at meetings. Um, and that really helped me to focus on the similarities rather than the differences because I wasn't a... Uh, as Joe said, you don't need to hit the same kind of rock bottoms that you might hear from other people. I hadn't been, you know, I hadn't been to pre- to prison. I'd, I'd been chucked in a cell one night for getting caught on the street, but I'd never, um, <clears throat> you know, I hadn't, um, I, I hadn't, I hadn't had a wife to lose. I hadn't had a house to lose. I hadn't. Um, I was quite, <clears throat> I was fairly young when I came into the program, about so twenty four, twenty five, and. Um, so you don't have to have gone to all of the troubles we have. Um, and, but if you do identify that, uh, that, you know, you struggle with, with controlling your drug use. And if, if you're like me in, in, the, in the sense that my, my constant obsession was to be that guy that could chop his dreads off and move to London and have a new life. my, uh, on, on his own willpower and on his own power, so so it seems. Uh, you know, my constant obsession was that I could uh, get a bag of weed and leave it in the drawer till the weekend, and have a couple of smokes, and that be it. That was my that my constant obsession was to have more control over what I was taking than I did, and and it was that more than anything that really brought me to my knees. It was that that really broke my spirit was the fact that I could not just... I just felt like a struggling, dead-end little boy most of the time because I just couldn't get my life together. I couldn't have the self-discipline to, to choose the right moment. And similarly, I went, through, I went through all the various party drugs. I had a very good time at times. But to be honest, a lot of those times I was just looking forward to when I could get back to my to my room and 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 smoke a joint because that was easier then I was that was far more reliable than trying to interact with other people and wanting the party to feel a certain way and just trying to get the right drug at the right moment or the right person at the right moment for it to feel that certain way and just never quite hitting this mark or hitting it very rarely and then this kind of just struggle to feel all right and to feel in the flow of life um, and never really managing it and um and all the time yeah not being able to control uh 
what I was taking and when I was taking it. And um, so, so yeah, I mean, and in terms of how I identified in the beginning and how I didn't, you know, I, w- I came in with, I'd kind of, I'd let go of most of the party drugs. I'd kind of stopped them. Um, and it was weed that brought me to my knees. And, uh, oh, yeah, my my lack of power around it. And um, I knew I'd had a problem with it for so long that it just made my life harder. But in the moment of those first two, two tokes, it made my life far better. And that was the paradox that kind of drove me into the ground. And, um, yeah, so I... Uh, so when I turned up as a stoner and I'm listening to heroin addicts and crack addicts and cocaine addicts, um, there's a lot of their story that's quite different. But what was immediately obvious was this similarity of just feeling separate in life and feeling like I was missing the rule book and feeling like um, just feeling so self-conscious and failing at life constantly and just failing. I was always told that I had great potential and that I was just not living up to it and that I was just not doing good enough. And fair enough, that's partly that's their stuff, whoever those people were. But it's also how much I took that on and how much that depleted my spirit. And my problem is that I have a massive ego and a very low self-esteem. And that, that means that I really kind of force myself on other people at times, but also feel like I'm constantly getting it wrong or that I um, won't get it wrong uh, won't get it right or um that i'm just not good enough i mean that's when i'm not well that's when i'm not well and that's when i would consistently reach out for drugs because that was the solution drugs weren't my problem they were salute they were the solution to that problem that i'm describing and that's what i found in common with everyone else in those rooms pretty much um yeah so i felt at home i felt at home but it still took me a while to really kind of accept I was an addict like this and I was so scared of of accepting myself as an addict um, and that that would be the wrong thing, that I'd shut this trap door by doing that and that I'll convince myself of this lie and I'll be on this wrong path, that, that I've joined this weird cult and there's no way back. Um, and it just took some time of turning up to meetings and sharing that and sharing that I felt that and... And looking for my own experience with this program in terms of, uh, yeah, starting to share my own experience of my of my own drug use and how I felt and what was going on in my life um, and asking those questions of other people. And then other people who'd already done the program showing me the book and showing me specific points in the book that told that described exactly what I was talking about and asked me those specific questions of, you know, if can I do do I have an obsession to use until I use and then once I've started using, can I not stop? And that, and that is my experience. With weed, it's not as insatiable, perhaps, as when I was taking cocaine. Um, it's a little bit, but it's more like, you know, in my, I had a relapse after eight months clean because I convinced myself I wasn't an addict. I disidentified again. And um, so, uh, yeah, that, that, that was about really coming back after that was recognizing that um that the seed had been planted when i did a wine tasting at work i think and i was already not practicing my program not doing the steps not taking inventory not sharing 
not going to enough meetings. I was already taking back on my programme and then this moment turned up where I thought it was okay to do a wine tasting at work. And I think that somehow just laid the seed in my in my mind, but also in my body. And that, that was my moment of no return. That was my picking up the first one and then not being able to stop until I'd gone on like an eight-month gradual relapse, but that led me into a place where I was uh, homeless, had ruined a fantastic new relationship, was in a brand new city all by myself and wanted to tear my own fucking skin off again. Um, And that's where I was left. Uh, And I walked back into the rooms and I shared what had just happened to me over over those months and where my head was at just now and my worries and my fears and... Everything fell off my shoulders, and I was new. I was knew I was in the right place again. Um, yeah, I'm becoming emotional as well, just as I share that. That was such a beautiful moment in Liverpool. I was there to do a show for a friend, and uh, I called an old CA friend of mine. She was actually an ex-girlfriend, but we'd stayed in touch. And I said, "Look, I'm totally." I, can't, I don't have internet access. I don't have people's numbers. I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm absolutely done, and I don't know what to do. Can you please find me a meeting in Liverpool? And she sent me the address. She sent me the way to get the bus, and I got there, and I, and I had that moment of coming back to the program. And um, yeah, I, I'm just so grateful. Just so grateful that those people were there, and they're everywhere, and we're everywhere in every city, and we're ready for that person to walk in. So. Um, I've shared for a long time, so I'll just try and do the, 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 my, my sort of service volunteering part. I'll t- try to describe that incredibly briefly. And if you want to go into more detail, you can ask me. But incredibly briefly, I found myself um, wanting to volunteer and find work at festivals. I couldn't get to festivals when I was, when I was using because I'm, not, I'm the kind of addict that if I get 20 quid, it's going on a bag of weed. I'm not saving it up for a festival ticket and i don't have the capacity to organize a bunch of friends to get to a festival so i don't know how other users did that but my experience was i got to festivals when i was sober and i volunteered at them and had a great time and i met new people and i had a different kind of spirit that i was bringing there i wasn't worried about who i was there i was confident that i was bringing something to those places and that i could enjoy other people's company because they could enjoy mine because i knew that i was bringing something i wasn't there to try and steal something from the show and steal something from the from the vibe i was part of bringing that 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 meeting of souls in in festivity and in celebration so anyway i but i found that when i was on the road doing that there weren't there weren't meetings and i was coming i was i was seeing other people that were well into the disease well in well inside active addiction that needed help and uh there were a couple of moments where i just did impromptu meetings in people's vans or in random tents we could find where i just got the book out and we ran a little meeting between two or three of us and um uh so this gradually just grew into the idea that like you know we need to try and find a way to just get meetings into let's just take meetings to festivals properly and uh and again i'll try not to go into too much there's a great story about how i found this giant tent basically it was a bit of a god moment and um i just I, i i came across this tent that was perfect for meetings while i was tatting at the end of a festival and um and i was like yeah this is our meeting tent i found it and uh so i took it i organized to take it to a festival that a friend of mine runs a little one in kent 
and we had our first sort of uh, I got a few friends together from Bristol and we went down and in preparation for that I rang some other people in public information uh, of CA just to check that I was doing everything right in terms of traditions and using the CA name for meetings and how I, how I would run it and stuff and just checking things out so that I didn't step on any toes or get anything wrong or represent the fellowship in the wrong way um and and in that conversation that person said well listen it sounds like we just need to give you the power to have a committee and um or, or just remind you that you have the power to to create a committee if you want to and and then bring that idea and we can give and people we can give you a budget to run that so um so that sparked the idea and we've been going for a couple of years now taking taking meetings and two festivals and running a pi stall at festivals where we where we just have a stall outside the tent where we share leaflets and our experience briefly to people who who want to who walk past and want to find out more um so yeah uh apologies for the for the quick fire <laughs> quick fire speaking and um, just to try and get it as much of it out as possible um yeah and thanks again for having us on and um there's there's lots of opportunities in my committee at the moment because we're gearing up for next year so i can give that information out as well of getting in touch with me personally if you want to if you're a ca member and you want to get involved and you're listening um i can give out that information later thank you thank you thank you very much um as ever uh, listening to those stories is is a privilege and i thank you for your honesty uh, and I'm going to be devil's advocate here to, to a certain extent. I mean, people smoking weed now, he's just, he's all over the place, kids especially. Um, so what would you say to um, a parent who is, firstly, two, there's two parts to this question. What would you say to a parent who thinks that their their son, daughter is smoking too much weed? Uh, and, and what are the myths uh, about weed and, and what are the truths, you know, because uh, I don't want to preempt it, but, uh, you know, is it a, is it a, a gateway to, to further drugs? But firstly, what would what would you say to, to, to parents uh, of kids who, who would think they're probably smoking too much weed? OK, well, I'm not I'm not an expert on 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 the science of that drug or the, um, you know, the psychological or physical effects, particularly apart from my own experience. Um, and sure, it can it can sort of act as a gateway. Is that true for me? I think if you're going to go there with drugs, you're going to go there. I think it's kind of a, my experiences and talking to other addicts is it, it's kind of hardwired into our life somehow that we just have to go through this journey of everything going terribly badly wrong and then and then coming out the other end and you know how 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 far that goes before we get help is on a scale for sure i was very lucky i got in before it got too bad but um if i think perhaps finding a way to ask the question like um are you can you be sure that you're choosing to do this can you be sure that there's a there's a choice in this? Um, I think I don't know. I guess my own politics in general, and this is my own opinion, is that everything in moderation can be okay. I don't, but I uh, so you know I I don't know. I just I just know that it's this thing about a lack of choice that's the most important thing because 
we know when we're doing ourselves in and uh, we know when something becomes unhealthy for us uh, I think um, and uh, and then it becomes about well can we make the choice of, to do that thing to ourselves or not and so it's about trying to find a way to ask that question of like you know um, do you feel this is in control do you, do you feel like this is uh, just a laugh or is it going beyond that or is this something you enjoy or is it something that that uh, that actually you're struggling with do you have choice over this do you have the power of choice over this because um, if they if they don't and when they recognize they don't um that's when you know pot- quite potentially they're an addict and it's going to go as far as it's going to go until they've suffered enough to reach out for help um and yeah i think you know as a young person as a teenager naturally part of your uh, part of life is 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 trying things out making mistakes and getting stuck and 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 learning eventually how to reach out for help um and i think to some degree that's inevitable but and 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 just we can't one of the most important things i learned in recovery was that we can't control other people i have such a desire to control other people uh because i'm convinced that their actions are uh that my feelings are because of other people's actions once i started to take responsibility for my own stuff and my own journey that's that's really the biggest part of what recovery teaches me and in the same respect uh it's it's not your fault if you're a parent with a with a with a with a with a child who's lost the power over drugs it is not your fault um you are one entity within a within you know your child is part of your community your child is part of the community of the world there's a load of other things going on that you cannot be responsible for and um uh, all you can do is is show them that there's there's some help out there if and when they want it. I, I'm 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 not a parent. This is all, you know. This uh-huh. could all be horribly bad advice. I re- but uh, I don't think I could have changed for my mum before I did. This is it. I don't think I could have changed for them before I did. And they, to some degree, they accepted that I was making a choice they didn't agree with. And that they were just going to make sure that my base needs were met and that they could pick me up when I fell over. And and that worked for me in the end. That's that's all I can say. Very nice points, Ed. If I can add to that briefly, you know, I love the point you said about being responsible for your parenting. So that's really important. I, you know, there's a couple of things that cloud the picture when it comes to kids. One One of the issues is that Often kids will discover drugs, marijuana, alcohol, etc. at a certain phase in their life, potentially around 13, 14, 15, and actually using weed or having a drink with their friends, for the first time they have some control. For the first time, everything else is out of control in their life. You know, where they live, what they do, what time they get up, they're told what to do. And this might be one of the only things in their life where they feel they have control over it because it's their thing. They're in the mates thing, but it's their thing. Um, you know, the best bit of advice I would give to people, I've got a teenager, an old teenager, 
the best bit of advice would be absolute honesty and consistency of message. Um, the ability to have an open dialogue. You know, my, side, my son sidled up to me last year and said, Papa, what did, let me ask you something. I knew something was coming just from his body language. And he said, what do you think of, uh, <coughs> what do you, <coughs> what do you think of acid? You know, what do you think of acid? And, you know, I said to him, well, I took him outside. You know, let's go for a walk. I pointed across the road and said, look, imagine on the other side of the road over there, there's a really, really big, massive, black, gaping hole. You're skirting the edges of it right now. And there's, you know, there's not necessarily any problem with you taking acid, but when you're in it, you may make some massive life decisions that can have huge implications for the rest of your life. Whether school is cool, you know, silly little things like that. You know, what is right, what is wrong. And actually, you can make the wrong decisions because you, you become completely powerless in that moment. Weed in itself isn't a problem. Alcohol isn't a problem. It's a problem to me because I'm an addict. So although I'm, you know, a really nice guy during the day, if, you, if I have a drink, I might be okay. Uh, if I have two, if I little, once I'm on my third, I'm gone and, and nothing's going to stop me now. I'm just going to start doing those drugs. And it's weird, but it's true. Do we have a, we have a saying that uh, one is too many and a thousand never enough? And it really applies to me. But getting back to kids, it is a gateway drug because it opens a gateway for more freedoms and to get in with certain people and to have a kind of status of cool when mentally you might not be cool. You might not be able to make the right decisions, etc. But absolute honesty, and what I said to my son about that question of acid is, wait until your next birthday, and you can do it at home. Keep it close. You can be in the safe. I know where you are. You've got music. You're warm. You've got food. I'll leave the house, and you can stay at someone else's, and, and I'm only a phone call away. And do you know what? He did. He did wait, and then he did do it. And there are parts he really enjoyed and there are parts he didn't. And he hasn't done it since. So, yeah, there's some advice in there somewhere for sure. It's amazing. Yeah. And we've got kids. We've got kids. We've got a 14-year-old and 16-year-old. So we get it, completely get it. And, you know, really appreciate both of your um, your experiences, really. And right the way through both of your shares, I was getting emotional. I was on the on the edge of nearly having a blob on a number of occasions because it's powerful stuff I think what you're doing what we're doing you know when you you make that leap and when I say leap of faith it's not a religious experience it's it's a leap into the unknown isn't it it's like you you've touched on you and um Ed you know it really is um we don't know what it's going to be like um and just getting back to what you were saying about gateway drugs for me personally um as you know people know and friends and loved ones know I'm a recovering addict of 22 years this year and for me I think the gateway drug was tobacco not not marijuana I started on tobacco first and tobacco sort of opened a world up of 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 addictive nature really rather than it wasn't a personality thing it was just I was drawn to all of these sort of like not allowed enticing Claire, um, yes Claire, yeah you're yeah. right it's a, you know you're right I can remember stood in a little foresty bit next to the road I've actually got a couple of teeth missing from smoking cigarettes in the wrong places because some old lads came over and just started leathering us 
But actually, before that, for me, it was coffee. When I was a little kid, like six, seven, eight years old, I'd see my parents go to France, drink coffee. I was making coffees and stirring the spoon and putting so much sugar and coffee in that when I let go of the spoon, if it slowly chink to the side, I knew I couldn't get any more in. And then I'd drink one and just go milly in the house. Left alive and going completely milly. But absolutely. So although marijuana has been saddled with this gateway drug label, because it literally was labeled by a sheriff one day, ages ago in America, it's... It, in, it is indeed about doing things and finding out that it changes the way you feel. Yeah. And in the end, whenever you want to change the way you feel, you turn to something. And for people like us, it can be drink or alcohol. Oh, drink or alcohol, alcohol or drugs. For other people, it can be food. You know, you can get addiction around gambling, shopping, all sorts of things, all sorts of behaviors. But ultimately, it's about changing the way we feel. And touching on face, you know, but we and my partner, one of, the, one of the growing up things about being in recovery is, is understanding that everything will be okay as long as we continue to be good. I've got complete faith that everything will be fine. So we've got a problem. My immediate reaction is to start making fear-based decisions. But I've had all my fears removed through doing the 12 steps. So now I'm not in resentment about anything. I can look at myself. I can take some inventory, get myself in a good, get myself in a good place. And then after that, make some decisions with having faith that it'll all be good if I'm good. And do you know what? If it works out not to be good, it doesn't matter because even that will be good. Even that will be good. It's amazing when I think I want choice A, even if I sit back and think, as it tells us in the book, take a moment, pause, step back. Even when I step, pause, look back, and I go for option A, if life doesn't deliver it, I find out option B was brilliant. You know, there's actually the primary option. It, it was perfect for me in this moment on my journey at this time. Perfect. And that just keeps on happening. And they say we have these little moments. People call them God moments. People call them, ah, oh God, you know. But the thing is, it kept happening. It's happened from day one. All these little things, it just keeps on rolling and rolling and rolling. And I'm, yeah, I don't want to break the spell. I'm just going to keep being good because good things happen. Yeah, that's a good way to live your life, isn't it? Really. Kev, did you have any questions that you wanted to ask? I just, again, I'm being devil's advocate here for people that may be listening. Right? I, I'm a, say, for example, I am a, uh, I've got, I'm a professional. Um, I, I pay my bills on time. I turn up at work on time. But every Friday night or maybe every Saturday night, maybe twice a month or whatever, I go down the pub, I get myself a gram and, and I use it and I have a great time. Um, what would be the, the, the danger signs for that kind of person? What would be the things what, that should really make him stop and, or her stop and think that this drug is getting out of hand in their, in their life? Two things. There's two things, Kevin, that are classic. Number one is there's no problem with doing what you just said other than it's legal. Um, but there is no problem beyond that. If what you're doing is trying to heighten that time you've got with your friends, you might think it's precious time, I'm only out for this time, etc. But what you may find, if you're not a heavy drinker or a casual drinker or a heavy user, but the difference between that and an addict is once the party's over, do you still want to keep using? Are you able to put that away and get it back out in a month? Or actually, do you find yourself on Saturday morning a bit wired and thinking, okay, I'm knacking now, I've got to face the day. I'll just have one little line to get myself up off the sofa and get back into life, take the kids out to the park or something. So it's, 
are you the last person standing all the time looking for the pie to keep going and keep going? And two, does it start to become used to change the way you're feeling, to start to live life? And the third one is the weekend starts on Thursday suddenly, and then on Wednesday, and then on Tuesday, and then there is no beginning and end. There's just one period of either feeling crap or feeling great, and you'll keep on using drugs to bring yourself up and down. That's the normal pattern. That snapshot you've just told us about isn't the problem. The problem is when it starts to bleed everywhere around. Right. And that's my opinion. Sorry, I really want to say about everything here. This is just my opinion. There's a lad that was sponsoring. Great guy. Great professional. God, he's got so much life ahead of him, and he's going to be, he's going to be big. He's 19. I'm not going to give any more details than that, obviously, but I just want to impress upon you how impressed I am with him, and he's 19. Yeah. And what he sees is that exactly what you've described is happening to him now, and what he's finding is... He'll even pop out at lunchtime to make himself feel a bit perky and then go back into work and storm through work. Yeah, great. And he's come, he's come up to us and said, do you know of any group which will help me with little problems I've got with drugs? And as it opens up, we actually find the drugs aren't the problem. The problem is, is that we wanted to change our feelings in the first place because there was something wrong inside. And I say that with great sadness and a bit of emotion because that's the truth. You know, only maybe looking back, once you start to feel great and you love life and life is loving to you, do you realize how bad things actually were and how unhappy you were? I don't get depressed or unhappy anymore. I'm not saying that's everyone's experience, but I've got the best chance of living a happy life if I'm good. And the steps have, have taught me that. I've got rid of my fears and resentments. I've cleared up the wreckage of my past. I've made amends to everyone who who needed to have amends made, and now I'm, I'm able to go out and help other people on a daily basis and live a great life. So may, may, I, may I jump in and say, that I mean, that's beautiful stuff, Joe. I'm, I'm loving it. Um, and also it's made me think of something that um, if we're talking about gateways, right, I think especially if we're a teenager, we're looking for a gateway. We need a gateway. And again, this is this is my, this is it may feel slightly off piste, but I think it brings a lot of things together in a way that makes sense for me. That um, in tribes that haven't kind of got to the same place in society that we've got to still have initiation processes. Every society, every culture has initiation processes, which are gateways that then teach you how to be that where the rest of the community gets around you and lets you know how to play life and how it's going to work and what your place is in that community. And um, I think especially for teenagers, they don't really have that anymore. They have that in pseudo varieties. They have that in, well, my initiation is going to go down to the pub and see how pissed I can get on my 18th birthday. Our initiation processes have, in my opinion, become toxic and they actually... Um, they actually promote disconnection rather than connection. And recovery for me is a coming back into connection, is being initiated into a community that makes sense, where I have a place, where I have things to offer, and the solution to my feelings is not a material one, is not a substance-based one. It's the, it's the quality of connection I have with somebody else, no matter what my feelings are and no matter who I am, is valued and... Uh, and make sense within that and um 
yeah so i think if we're talking about gateways we all need a gateway and we're going to find it one way or another mm. and if you haven't found that then yeah you're going to find it in an unhealthy way or you're going to find a community that makes sense to you yeah it is it's a it's a it's a whole combination of stuff isn't it i mean you know that human connection that need for human connection and substances disconnection no matter how much you think they're going to connect you they might connect you to a group of people but they disconnect you from that internal connection and that connect real connection that emotional connection even with the people that you're knocking about with um yeah i completely get it absolutely and and i think you're right you know recovery does it reconnects you in every way shape and form it reconnects you with the power greater than yourself it reconnects you with your community that you want to be with um, it reconnects you with your family that you've probably never connected with, you know. And just going back one to what you were talking about. Um, so, so for me, um, I, I, I can I can only identify my addiction. I didn't use on a daily basis. My addiction. I was a binge drinker and user. And for me, um, I, I, I'm only adding this because I know that a lot of people out there do this and I know a lot, I get a lot of identification, especially from um, young women and professional women um, who binge use drink and binge use cocaine. And so for me, the danger wasn't in using it really every day. For me, the danger was in when I started using it. And I didn't know this when I was using it. But what happened once I took that first drink or that first line was I, I tricked. I, I, I triggered something within me that just had an insatiable thirst for more. And I didn't know that I couldn't stop until I tried to stop. Does that make sense? Well said. Yeah, so for me, you know, it wasn't about daily use. Sometimes a daily use, like when I was on holiday. But my addiction was so subtle that it kidded me into thinking that just because I used, like Kev was saying, of a weekend. And, and that was the, that was what kept me and Kevin very sick for a long time. Obviously, we're married and we were, were in active addiction together. But because Kevin drank on a daily basis, I didn't. I used to sit very high up on a pedestal of judgment, pointing my finger at him and thinking, well, if I was that bad, then I'd have to do something about it. And then binging like a nutter, at the weekend, where he would then sit on his pedestal of judgment and say, well, if I drank and used like you when you kicked off, then it was just this constant, constant confusion as to what was a problem and what wasn't a problem. And I think it's so important that we do make these fellowships that, you know, you're talking about Cocaine Anonymous, there's um, Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, this Family Anonymous. You know, I, I started off in a family fellowship because I didn't think I was that bad. It's so important that people have these safe places to go to and that they aren't mysterious. They aren't, you know, cults or, you know, they're not going to... And we have no isms. Yeah. You know, we have no isms. We have no opinion about outside issues. Although individual members have opinions of their own, yeah. welcome to them. We have no opinion on outside issues. And Claire, on that point, all the fellowships you mentioned then are wonderful, yeah. and they are mysterious, and they are cults, but they are very available, yeah. and there are in your area. And if someone does feel that they have a problem with drink or drugs, they should, I feel like I'm on the shopping channel right now. Oh, but it's good. That's, it's good. Why we, that's 
fucking if someone free. has a problem with drinking or drugs, I would encourage them personally to, to reach out to one of the fellowships you mentioned, particularly yeah. Cocaine Anonymous for myself, because that's where I found the solution. Yeah. But nonetheless, I drop in and out of different meetings all the time, and it's about hearing the solution. And it's not about how bad you felt. It's about freeing yourself of fears and resentments and having a good life and living your best life. And that can start as soon as you want to. It literally can start as soon as you want to. Just reach out. We've got a helpline. You can read it on the screen. But just to underline that point, it's 0800-612-0225. I'd encourage anyone that feels that they have a problem or want help with a drug or alcohol, or they know someone that does, if they want to get some advice, we're here and we're free. And that's what we're telling the world. Absolutely. And I shout that from the rooftops. I think it's amazing. And absolutely, if you're in any doubt, just start by taking that first step. Just be inquisitive. It's not going to hurt you. You know, it's it could change your life forever. And what also excites me, that, I mean, I got giddy actually when I was hearing Ed talk about the festivals, because I just think that is genius. I mean, Kev's an actor, so he knows what goes on in, you know, those sorts of worlds. He's, been, he's a musician. He travels the world internationally doing big gigs and playing with some seriously famous people. And, and there's a lot of drink and drugs that go on. So, I mean, we've always said this, haven't we, Kev, about there being some sort of support on the road for artists. Because can there's I, a lot. Can I make a point, Claire? That I'd like to ask Kevin, because I'm an artist. My mum was the best female artist I've ever met. And you always get this trope of Jimi Hendrix rolled out saying, yeah, what did drugs do? Oh, he made the album of blah, 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 blah. I want to tell everyone out there, and I'd like to ask you, Kevin, to reiterate the same. And then I'd love to hear a minute from Ed about joining in with the fact, because there's a lot of opportunities to go to festivals and help spread the word. Yeah. If you're a member of Cocaine Anonymous and you want to get involved, I'd tell them to give us an email, go onto the website, email, and you can get through to Ed. But Kevin, isn't it true? I'm an artist. I haven't... Yesterday, I did a pitch, and it was probably the most beautiful website we've ever made, and it's stunning. And the company we pitched it to is a company we'd all love to be an artist for, if you like. You know, um, Corporates nowadays, like the big families of the old days, commissioning Picasso and everyone else to do their portraits. That's all we're really doing. But Kevin, as a pure musician, have you still got it in you now that you don't use drugs? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think one of my... Uh one of my biggest fears is yeah. when I got when I got sober uh, and and clean is that will I still be able to act? Will I still have that? Uh, will I still have that mechanism in my head? That's the art to take yeah. the words off the paper and to to put flesh and bones on that and make that real. Yeah. Uh, will I be able to do it? Was my whole career beforehand a bit of a sham? Um, was it all drug-induced or alcohol-induced? Uh, and, and what I found, and I'm, and I'm happy to say, is that, if anything, being clean and sober has enhanced those skills. Yeah. Because I can see more. Um, I can feel more. But I can gauge what those feelings and what those emotions are. Uh, there's no to it it doesn't send me off on on a on a wrong a wrong path when i'm looking at a character of how how guy then i i i'm looking at all and sober eye it's me make better decisions as an actor yeah hello 
I heard all that. That was brilliant. Yeah. And just to just to underline the point, not only is, are you able to focus on the process of creativity, creativity is also a process, as well as those abstract connections that you can make as an artist. It also is a process, and you're more present and engaged and able to put in the quality hours of the process. But to finish off, you're also in a really healthy place. You are your best self to then perform. You know, I used to literally yeah, be exactly. asleep on set. I've got loads of pictures of me on set, different sets all over the place. I'm asleep, slumped in a chair, unless someone's got the number of a drug dealer so I can keep going. Um, Ed, would you mind uh, get, saying 30 seconds on just, again, a call to action for the festivals? Yeah, most definitely, most definitely. So um, we have a really great time when we're at festivals. People are really, um, people turn around to us when we're, you know, having a dance in a tent one evening uh, I, I, I've literally heard this exact same story from so many other people that have come and done it with us that what happens to them is they're dancing away in a tent somebody turns to them and goes hey what are you on mate and they're like oh I, I don't I don't take anything anymore and they're like what are you serious you look like you're having a fucking crazy time mate and uh and they're like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm having a great time. I don't, I don't need it anymore. And how surprised people are. And it just proves that, like, I can party so much better now that I'm not needing to just hit my sweet spot with what substance is inside me. Um, and, uh, yeah, so you can get in touch. I'll, I'll, I'll say my email. Um, it's um, it doesn't, It's not a particularly professional one. It's just the one I'm using just now for this. Uh, so it's it's kingraisin at hotmail dot com. So it's K I N G R A I S O N at hotmail dot com. But it's just the most reliable way just now to get through to me. Um, if you email that saying that you're interested in the CA Festivals Committee, it works on two levels. Okay, so we have a committee that's like the organising of it. Um, so, uh, you know, we need people who are going to organize uh, how the kit's going to get to different parts of the country. It's scrolling across the bottom of the screen now. Um, how the kit's going to get to different parts of the country between festivals. Um, people who are going to, like, find the crew locally that are going to be at the festival for us. And general organizational stuff, yeah? That's, like, the committee roles um, that CA members with some PI experience can, can come and join us to get involved in the actual planning an organization of the thing for next year and throughout next year as we go on the road again um and then also it but but also if you if you don't want to be involved in that side of things and be in loads of meetings and organizing uh then equally um if you've got uh, at least a year sobriety behind you um you can come on board to just go to a festival uh and be part of putting uh, you know be chairing, helping to chair me, chairing meetings, sharing at meetings, setting the tent up, um, and being part of a team of like six or eight people who are running that tent for the whole of the festival. Um, you know, you, you work a rotor, so you've got time to enjoy the festival and show other people how how you can have fun in recovery at the same time as uh, your responsibilities, whether it be you know making the tea for a meeting or. Uh, uh, sitting on the PI, PI stall for a bit, giving out leaflets to people as they go past, um, and people have people end up in great conversations as well. It's not just new addicts that we meet there; it's the 
it's um there are some festivals we go to where it's mainly professionals that we talk to people who work in mental health services that come up to us and have massive long conversations with us and didn't know we existed and things like this so you become a really important part of the front line of recovery and sharing the message if you come on board and, and get involved with us so whether it's that you want to be involved in organizational things with the committee or whether you just want to come and come to a festival and share your personal recovery uh, by helping to make meetings happen at festivals on the ground, then uh, get in touch with me. Get, get uh, email me and um, and yeah, we'll we'll get you involved. And that's King Raisin at Hotmail.com. For some reason, you don't remember that. If you're listening, if you've got a friend that you think it's appropriate for, you can also through any of our cocaine anonymous websites just send an email and we'll make sure it gets to edge of the right person yeah and we will put um an email in the chat so this is on facebook live it's also on youtube we will put a contact email where people can reach and um, reach out to directly to um capi for any inquiries and joe or one of his amazing um one of his amazing members will get back to you and um connect you with the appropriate person be that ed or whoever um do you know what guys i i could do two hours chatting to you i'm not gonna lie i think it's absolutely critical that that people that don't know about um cocaine anonymous hear about cocaine anonymous because you've demystified so many uh, myths just by coming on and talking you know i love the fact that you covered that young people are affected by this illness i love the fact that you talked about you know it's accessible so easily globally not just in you know brighton or birmingham or it's everywhere there's meetings everywhere and people can reach out and connect so easily um and it's great that you've also you know demystified some of the some of the myths around um, it being a religious organisation, and you've you know you've helped explain that. And we've got some really positive comments as well. Um, we've got um, when um, when Ed was emotional. Gail said, you know, she was really touched. Amazing honesty. Thank you so much for sharing that moment. It was a powerful moment. So thank you, Ed. And and Jill said, very honest and powerful. Well done to both of you for sharing your stories. Um, yeah, and do you want to do you want to finish us off, Kev? Actually, before you do go, you know, yeah. one of the things that um, underpins all our meetings is the serenity prayer, and I think it's interesting to say the serenity prayer because of the meaning behind it, whether because it's pertinent to today in these times or just for our lives in general. Yeah, would you mind saying the serenity prayer when we leave as well? We will. No, we'll do that. Yes. Um, we would love to finish off. Um, if, if you, if you, Joe, I mean, Kev, do you want to add anything? And then what you can do is um, let Joe lead us out with the serenity prayer. Again, I just want to say thank you to both of you. Very powerful, powerful stuff. Uh, and I just want to say thank you to our sponsors, the Big Lottery and the Sussex Community Foundation Crisis Fund. Without them, we wouldn't be able to do this. Um, I hope you've enjoyed it today, uh, uh, whoever's out there listening. Uh, please join us again next week. And if you'd, uh, Joe or Edward, would like to lead us out with the uh, serenity prayer, that would be perfect. As uh, Ed's got King in his, in his name, I'll lead him <laughs> to lead us out. Thank you. <laughs> okay. So, God. God. Grant me the serenity. 
to accept things I can change. Courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. Please come back again, won't you, and tell us more about this amazing fellowship. Absolutely. When will this be posted? It's being posted live now on Facebook, so we will keep resharing it, and it's also going live to YouTube. And what we do, we have a team of amazing recovery volunteers and business volunteers who help us um, cut the the the, um, the footage up and keep sending it out, just sharing the message of hope on social media. So, um, yeah, it's on our on our um, YouTube channel, which is Kennedy Street CIO. So Kennedy Street CIO. Thank you. Take care. Bye. 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 Guys, thanks for having us. Take care. Bye. God bless. Bye. Kennedy Street. Please visit Kennedy Street at www.kennedystreetcio.org. Recovery does exist.